This is episode three of the Talking Adapted PE Podcast. We're dropping new episodes on Mondays, so be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you know when the latest episode is available. I really enjoyed this week's conversation with Jeff Watkins, a general PE and adapted PE teacher from Maryland. I think you'll be really impressed by the work he's doing. His excitement and enthusiasm really comes through, and he leaves us at the end with a great piece of advice for adapted PE teachers. Check out the show notes for links to Jeff's social media and for topics we discussed in the episode. Episode three starts now. Enjoy. Welcome to the latest episode of the Talking Adapted PE podcast. I've got an old friend from my SUNY Brockport days from my elementary methods class, Jeff Watkins. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you again. It's been years, but we reconnected via Twitter, as I think most of the world does nowadays, and uh, I'm excited to have you here. Why don't you tell everyone where you work, populations you teach, and how many years teaching? Um, So I currently work at, I work for Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland. I want to say we're one of the larger ones in the country. I want to say top 15, but I'll say top 20 to be safe. Um, and I teach at, well, I teach adapted PE at Longview School. And I also teach gen ed at three other schools. So at Longview, I have say roughly 62, 63 on my caseload. And I teach two and a half days. Nice thing is I have my own gym. I have my own equipment room. And I we have eight classes here. So I'll see four classes on Wednesday. I have, I'm here just Monday afternoon. So I'll have two classes Monday afternoon. Friday, I run a club. So all the kids run different clubs. Right now we're doing a film club that I run. Uh, we're actually making video music videos with each different class. And then in the afternoon, I have two more classes. And then I have 12 gen ed classes at three other schools. Um, so I'm pretty booked. <laughs> Yeah, talk about that, actually. So uh, where I am in San Diego, I'm just an adapted PE teacher, and the teachers in my department are just adapted PE teachers, and we have to be credentialed through the state of California to to have that job. But it's really interesting to hear you talk about being both gen ed and adapted PE. Does Maryland have a required credential? I'm tripping on my words. A credential to teach adapted PE? Can you talk through kind of what that looks like? Um, so as far as I know, you do not have to have any sort of credentials to teach adaptive PE. Obviously, <clears throat> excuse me. Obviously, it's highly recommended, but I think all you have to do to be credentialed is to pass the PE praxis. So in, I know in our county we don't have like I know Matt down in Fairfax County is just an adaptive PE and he works at different schools. A lot of the adaptive PE is run by the Gen Ed teachers at their school, and then they also teach some of the adapted PE classes as well. That's really interesting. So my question then is, do you also have adapted PE populations at the schools where you're teaching general PE? Because it sounds like your Longview setup, is, I think that's the name of the school you said, it sounds like that, is that a school for just kids that happen to have disabilities? So we are actually attached to another elementary school called Matsunaga. Yes, Longview itself is just, it's a K through 21 school. Um, and we have about 63 students. Um, we do have some that are virtual, so I think we're closer to 70. And then at the schools where you're doing the the general ed PE, is there an adapted PE population at all at that at those schools? Um, so some of those other schools do. At one of my schools that has what's called a learning center, and I do work with those students um, some as well. But it depends on the school. Um, some school will have uh, special ed programs, like some will have autism programs, some will have, we call it SCB. Uh, so my population is, and we were, I think we talked about this a while ago, um, trying to figure out the name, uh, formerly known as Severe Profound. Um, I've heard multiple disabilities. One that Brad Weiner had mentioned to me that he had heard was significant support needs. And I think you mentioned one that you, that I liked as well. Yeah, um, we call it, um, 
Well, we call it two things. We call it medically and physically challenged in our district. But I think I think I use the term individuals that are significantly impacted by their disability. Yeah, is is one I use, which yeah, obviously I, I, doesn't roll off the tongue, but I feel like it's a. And I think on the IEPs, they still use, I want to say severe and profound, or maybe it's multiple disabilities. I'm not a huge fan. I, I kind of like the significant support needs and the one that you were using as well. Yeah, I think we're seeing a shift in language. I mean, I'm, around the world in any right, yeah. seeing a shift in language. But in this specific case, I think we're seeing a shift towards identifying the level of support needed is how we're, especially I'm, I'm seeing a lot of this in sort of movement within like our neurodivergent communities and things right. like that. Like how do we, how do we identify the, their needs more appropriately? So at your school, that's a specialized school. It sounds like all of the kids would be pretty obvious that they need, let's call it adapted phys ed, but something that is not, doesn't maybe look like traditional phys ed. So they, you're the, you're the PE teacher, but you're teaching what we call adapted phys ed. And even though these students are obvious, do they undergo an initial assessment where a standardized test is done and then uh, their levels are determined? And then do you write annual goals on an IEP? Do you list hours on an IEP? Do you revisit and reassess for triennials every three years? What's that entire process look like? If a student comes to us and doesn't have adapted PE goals, we do do an assessment. I, For my population, I haven't found a standardized assessment that I like or that has given me or the parents much useful information. So I'm actually creating my own. And a lot of it is has to do with like functional skills. It might be grasping, releasing, kicking, reaching. I call it catching, but for a lot of my students, it may just be tracking with their eyes. Still working on it. It's in the progress. I don't love it yet, but it does give me and the parents like a lot of valuable information and it gives me a place to start with present levels. Now, ideally, I'd love to be able to do that test on the students every year so I could track their progress even more. Unfortunately, I just don't have the time for that. But yeah, so that's where I'm at with that. When I've been at other schools, we've used the the TGMD. Well, at the time it was the two. I think we've moved on to the three now. And that one I kind of like to more for when I'm at other schools. But that one just isn't appropriate for the students at Longview and they're not able to access it. So that's why I kind of came up with my own assessment there. Yeah, that makes sense. What we'll do in my district is if a student can't access a standardized test, we don't think it's appropriate. We put a statement in the triennial report or the initial report, whatever it is, explaining why we didn't think a standardized assessment was appropriate. And then we have some sort of in-house checklists that we give that are criterion based that are based on a lot of them at those younger ages, not at the younger ages, but at those developmental ages, we base them on the developmental milestones. So we're So we're going off of, you know, zero to six months, six months to a year. If you are looking for a standardized test, one that I just learned about within the last six months from Dr. Melissa Bittner at Long Beach, it's called the DACI. I think the DACI might give you some of the information you're looking for. I'm not saying it's going to give you everything you're looking for, but I think that the DACI is standardized and I think it does go down to those uh, early developmental milestones where probably some of your kids are functioning at. Right. And so it, it could give you that score if you wanted one or not. But it sounds like with the population you're mostly supporting, they're going to qualify for adapted PE services yeah. no matter what. Now, do you have to list on the front page a number of hours that you're supporting the students with adapted physical education? Yes. And it's usually our class times are about 55 minutes. So usually I list 55 minutes for each student, which gives them PE once a week and they come with their classes. Each class is generally five to eight students. We have para support in there. Usually we have at least three paras. 
And I also work a lot with the PTs. All the staff at Longview is absolutely amazing. And the PTs are so supportive. So we're always working together like that. So yeah, so usually it's just what I list on is the 55 minutes. And then on our IEPs, in addition to that, we actually have a spot on the front page where we have to say the type of physical education that they're receiving. So it's a drop down. And what it says is there's a choice for general PE, modified PE, specially designed PE, or adapted PE slash collaboration, adapted PE slash consult, or just straight adapted phys ed. Do you have to delineate on your IEPs any sort of that type of service delivery at all? No, we don't. Other than that, it's a direct service. But yeah, we don't have, not that I know of anyways, that any of those. Yeah, that's that was kind of a big uh, reason for the podcast is just that it, it, we do things differently everywhere, right? So just getting the information out there, because I think we can all learn from each other. You mentioned your paras. That's a huge part of teaching adapted PE. How do you give your paras information? Do you front load them? Do you connect with them after the lessons? Do you do a training at the start of the year? What's that look like? Since this is a school where the kids from five to 21, I've worked with the pairs for year after year. So I see every kid, every class. So I have every pair every year. They just know me so well. I know them. Like I said, they're amazing. They already know what I'm trying to do sometimes. So they're just always, they are able to pick right up and just support where needed. Sometimes I'm on the fly and I'll be like, Hey, can you try this? And they'll try it. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) We really have a great staff here. Sounds like you're spoiled because we all have those horror stories, right? Where we're like, they're on their phone, they're sitting off to the side. And, you know, uh, we don't hear enough good stories that you have because there's some incredible paras in the field that love the kids and do great work and oftentimes love PE or adapted PE and helping them in that environment. And, and, you know, I've heard those horror stories as well. They're just sitting off to the side and I'll say not Longview staff. They are fully engaged with the kids and not just helping them, but they bring a level of energy that just makes the class so much better. Better for the kids, better for everyone, and just makes it fun. I cannot speak enough about my staff and how they make me look good as well. <laughs> I really can't can't underestimate how great they are. It sounds like it's a school culture that yes, it is really everywhere, is. and that's, that's what you want ultimately. So your other schools were the general ed PE teacher. Do you ever have a case manager? Sorry, that's my own lingo. Case managers in my district are the ones that are the, the special ed teacher that, you know, manage all the service providers. And so that's everything. the same here. Yep. Okay. So do you ever have a case manager or an OT or a speech teacher? Do you ever have anyone come up to you and say, I think this student has some gross motor delays. Will you take a look and do we need to do an assessment? Is that something you encounter at your other schools at all? Um, Like I said, I've been down here in Maryland for like 12 years. I think that's happened twice where we've had, and it was students that I was kind of concerned with as well. I think I, maybe I was the one that brought it up to the case manager and then we moved forward with the testing and it turned out the student didn't need it. Usually I'm the one that will bring the concern, but so no, I haven't had necessarily PTs or OTs come to me asking that, but I think usually if they did have that concern, I would have the concern as well. And then move forward with the testing. And like I said, at that time, the appropriate test was the TGMD2. Now I think we're on to the three, but I haven't tested a student at my, at my other schools in a few years. Yeah, we are on, we are on to the three. Dr. Ulrich a couple of years ago put out the updated version of it. And, you know, in my district, what typically happens is we try to, we have preschool assessment teams. And so we try to identify kids early on. We all know early intervention makes a difference. There are kids that fall through the cracks. 
So if a kid shows up at an elementary school and we're notified, we have the PE teacher or the case manager or both kind of fill out an observ- a request for observation sheet. The site adaptive PE teacher goes out and observes, determines if an assessment is necessary, and then we'll take the assessment from there. But that does happen much more consistently at our traditional school sites than it sounds like for you, because we don't have a long year. We don't have, uh, right. except for maybe just a couple, like honestly, of 200 schools, maybe we just have two or three specialized schools. So we're all out. So we have these, the designations we use is we have mild, moderate, and then we have moderate, severe. Again, don't love the language that we're labeling right. those with. Not my choice though. So within that moderate to severe population, we are oftentimes encountering the need to perform these initial assessments, get services on the IEP, write goals, and go from there. And that's kind of how our, our caseloads tend to grow. I would say probably most people in my district are sitting in the fifties with a caseload. I could be off a bit on that, but roughly that's where it's about. We do have a lot of pre-K and we call them PEP programs. So I'm assuming a lot of the students are identified and assessed at that point. Far as who's doing the assessments for adapted PE, to be honest, I'm not sure. It could be the teacher at the school because I know they are the general PE teacher at the school because a lot of the PEP programs do have PE. But yeah, I couldn't speak to how that's being done because I had never had the pre-K pet programs. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So we have preschool special ed classes on many of our campuses. And oftentimes before students are enrolled there, they go through the initial assessment process to identify the disability code necessary for the student to have an IEP. And we catch a, a good amount of kids through this process with adapted PE. But again, like I said, there are kids that right. fall through. And then we try to catch them casting a net. Let's talk about goals. Goals are a big part of the IEP and what drives services. So just just in a sentence or two, how do you track your goal process? Are you doing anything cool, anything creative, or is it just Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely not one of the areas that I'm the most creative. I basically have a Google Doc, and I have the student's goal at the top with their objectives, and then I have a bunch of lines underneath. So after I see a class, I pull up that class where I have the seven, eight students. I put in the activity we're doing, and then I just write a little bit about each one. I know you're talking to Matt Barker uh, the other day and his Google Forms and everything. That's absolutely amazing. Fortunately, I don't have anything up to date or special when it comes to that, other than just logging in information. I try to review them real quick before class and then write a little bit at each at the end of each thing. And that's old school, I would say. When it comes to that. Well, it's still digital, so it's not totally. Yeah, that's true. You know, up to about three years ago, though, I was still using binders and pencils. I know. I know. Because I could keep it out there with me and I was writing it. And then it was just every time I got a new student, I was shuffling papers and everything. And I was like, "Uh." yeah, we actually are required for our attendance purposes to go into a program called Paradigm, which is not our IEP program. It's separate. And it's also the one that the therapists in our district use, such as our OTs, our PT and our speech. And we have to go in and log attendance in this program. And then there is a notes section in this program where we can then put a note for the class. And this is helpful if we ever are encountered with a litigious case because a lawyer or a parent can request records and you have five days to respond. 
I don't know if you've ever had to experience that, but we can print it out in an Excel format or a PDF format even and, and give it right to them. And it's it's right there and we, we fall within that legal timeline. So, so we actually have to use a specific program to do that. Now, what some teachers will do is they'll use a Google form or Google doc and then just transfer it into said program. That's, that's the way that a lot of the teachers in my district track goal progress is, is through putting it in that. Because then when that student moves on to the next teacher, it is housed somewhere centrally. But we didn't always do it that way. That's been, it's been for a number of years now. Now we all use visuals. We all go about it differently. And I'm the kind of person that is sometimes, you know, I'll plan out my visuals and then I'm like, oh, but we have this other thing going on and I'm fumbling through them to try to get the Velcro off and get the right, right. one on. <laughs> but if you use visuals, where do you get them from? How do you go about it? One that I like is lesson picks. Okay. I'm not familiar. Uh, I'll look into that. I think it's like $35 a year. It has a lot of great stuff. And actually I was texting Jody Duff the other day we share ideas back and forth she's amazing she sent me i think it's called symbol sticks she was doing some sort of mm-hmm. i don't i don't, don't want to get it wrong it was either a dance or gymnastics or some sort of movement it had all these great visuals it's almost like stick figure but it's really cool for like balance on one leg and it was just really cool so i'm gonna look more into that but yeah i definitely love lesson picks i know our slps i think use board maker a lot so our slps here are awesome as too so if i ever ask them for anything they usually within an hour will have me we we use board maker in our district but my department is mac heavy and it does not work with Mac. Oh, interesting. So we are trying to get some licenses for symbol sticks. So I have heard that one. I am not familiar with the lesson picks one you just said. So I will for sure give that one a go because I'm always looking for places to get my visuals and what. How do you stay current on best practices and changes in the field? Well, I do present a lot at other places. Usually when I go somewhere, I try to go to as many other presentations as possible. Obviously, Twitter. I think Twitter is the greatest thing. I've been able to get so many different ideas from so many great teachers, just direct messaging back and forth. But yeah, that's probably where I keep up to date and get new lesson ideas and stuff like that. Yeah, you're really active on Twitter. That's how we actually reconnected. You share so many great ideas. The listeners of the podcast that are coming back have heard me with some of my other guests. We've talked about switches, and this is an area that you are proficient in, I would say. I just didn't know if you could explain to people maybe not so much what a switch is i think we i think we've covered that that you know you push a button it's cause and effect you push a button something happens but maybe could you walk us through the switch you created that you think is the coolest or you're the most proud of i just did a soccer unit and for the longest time i've been trying to figure out like a lot of my students have very limited legs so what i was doing was setting a ball up a prop it about as high as their feet are because most of them are in a wheelchair. Some of them are in gate trainers and we work from there. So I had the ball tied to a switch and actually a wobble switch that when the students kicked it, it turned on a leaf blower and fired a ball towards the goal. And I had goalie that's moving back and forth. That is Matt Barker's idea. That is one of the coolest things ever. Uh, It's just a moving target that moves back in front of the net. But the great thing about the switches, so I could sit there and I could work with a student, you know, extending their legs to make contact with the ball and knock it off. But to me, that's not as fun. They're still working on great things, but it wasn't as motivating to the kids. But for them to be able to knock the ball off and then all of a sudden see a ball shooting towards the goal past a goalie, Now all of a sudden I'm getting these huge reactions and smiles out of the kids. All the paras are jumping up and down. For a lot of students I didn't think had the leg movement, they completely showed me wrong or proved me wrong. 
like they were able to functionally move their legs to knock that ball off and they were getting so excited. Um, so that was one of my favorite ones and it was just so much fun. I'm going to bring up one that just went, I'm going to use the word viral loosely because I think <laughs> the adaptive PE space going viral is like getting 500 likes on Twitter as opposed to like a famous person going viral for right, right. <laughs> you, you shared a tweet recently that I will say went viral for adaptive PE and it didn't involve a switch at all. And it was just really cool because you just took two folding tables and you had them sloped so that your students could reach up to the top of it and just release a horseshoe and could play horseshoes against each other. And I thought that a, it was simple and B, just what a cool idea that was. So kudos to you for that. Yeah. So, and that's one of the reasons I love that so much. So a lot of my students, my goal might be grasping and releasing, you know, very functional skill. How can I turn that into, you know, an adaptive PE activity? And that's one of the ways is the horseshoes. And I love the tables because, and I know a lot of adaptive PE teachers are on the road going from school to school to school, and they can't necessarily take things, but that's something that's at every school. Every school, well, I don't want to say that, but I'm assuming every school has those folding tables. And if you just go to building maintenance, hey, can I borrow one or two of those? There's just so many different activities you can do with those folding tables. And the horseshoes is just one of them. And I absolutely love it. And the kids get so into it and the staff gets so into it. And it's just so much fun. And yet I'm still working on that grasping and releasing. But we're also learning the game of horseshoes. Yeah, those table ramps, all it is is just extending one of the legs and folding up the other legs. Boom, you have a ramp. Yeah, I'm actually using tables in my lesson later today. We're going to do some tabletop curling. So I actually went on Amazon, bought the mini pucks. They could be shuffleboard for that matter. But I, I'm doing it actually within an inclusive class that I do at the high school level because I'm just trying to show them all the different activities that they could do together with their peers, right? So it's, yeah, and, it's, and it's far less team sports and more duels and target activities and fitness and those sorts of things. And sometimes I'll have the staff play horseshoes against the students and they'll talk, they, they have to toss the horseshoes in your more traditional sense where the underhand tossing it up and the students slide it down. So it's a very, very inclusive. So for my curling unit, I use scooters. So I create a target area and then I'll set up ramps all around and the kids drop the scooters down and it's really cool. And if you check my Twitter, it's in there somewhere the scooters bang off each other and push them out. So it's really fun activity and you can go pretty far away. And once again, if you're in a more inclusive setting, uh, students could push them instead of going down a ramp. So I love that too. All great ideas. Now we're, we've been talking about Twitter and I made the jokes about going viral, but the reality is you actually have gone viral on another platform. Just really quickly, why don't you talk about some of the responses you've gotten on TikTok of all places? So <laughs> somebody told me you should start a TikTok and I'm like, uh. Whatever. So I uh, started a TikTok. I don't post nearly as much on TikTok. And I usually I don't have my students on TikTok like I do on Twitter because Twitter seems a little more controlled. It's more just seems to be the adapted PE community. I have a lot of special ed teachers, maybe system technology people. Uh, TikTok seems to put it out to everyone. So I don't post quite as much on there. But yeah, I remember I posted it was either my first or second video and I posted it in the morning. And I think I checked it before I went to bed and I had, I think... 10,000 new notifications or something like that. And it was over a million views. And a few of them have, or the one went, I think, close to 4.5 million. And then I posted another one and that one went over a million. And then a lot of the other ones, I think, sit around 10 to 20,000. And then I posted another one, that one was close to a million. So it was just really crazy. But what's neat is I've had a lot of people like parents 
that have children that might have disabilities, them reaching out to me for ideas has just been great. And I'm more than willing to help them in any ways as possible. Just opening their eyes to what adaptive PE can be. Simple adaptions, and you can do almost anything. And you know what? You're, I, it still isn't enough to get you paid by TikTok, though. I asked yeah. you that. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not getting any checks yeah, from TikTok. Yeah, so no, uh, definitely you haven't not. quite made it to influencer status yet. But I mean, how awesome is that, though, that here you are teaching at a small school in Maryland, just doing what you love. Like, again, you're not putting it out there to get famous, putting it out there to share it. And it takes off like it is. It is really cool. So that's awesome. I know we're, we're backed up against it a little bit time wise for you. So we're going to jump into the fast five. These can be as short or as long of answers as you want, Jeff. They're just meant to be kind of kind of fun. So what's your favorite piece of equipment? Favorite piece of equipment? I would have to say I have a switch adapted trike. It's an electric trike um, that's somewhere on my Twitter feed as well, too. This is a motorized electric trike that I took a switch and I wired it into the trike. It's a dual tandem, so it sits two people. So I'll sit there and I also took one of the seats out and I put a wheelchair backing in it. So students that don't have the trunk support are able to, we're able to get them in it and secure them in it. And they are able to control the trike with a switch. And one of my motivations for this was this, this is a trike that fits adult. I noticed as students get older and bigger, a lot of times they have less access to things. So I wanted to be able to give them the experience of independently riding a trike. So I worked with a PT to uh, bolt the uh, wheelchair down. And then I wired the switch in and watching the kids, we fly down through the hallways. <laughs> uh, it's just so much fun and such a great experience. So I'd have to say that's probably my favorite, favorite piece of equipment. Yeah, it's for those of you that are going to don't know Jeff's Twitter yet, go there and he does have a video up. I've seen it and it's just really cool. All right, moving on. Favorite app you use when teaching? Um, so I would say, and we talked about this earlier, Lesson Picks. Uh, mm -hmm. and this will be another reason you're going to want to check it out. They have like a bunch of games on there. Oh. And by games, I mean, so I can take those picture symbols and like create a whole fitness bingo unit. I can take another one I like to do is they have slides and ladders. So I can put those all in the spots, like different stretches, visual stretches. And when I'll play with my kids, they will roll a dice, we'll move them in whatever stretch we're on. We'll do that stretch together either individually or as a class. So there's definitely a lot of great stuff on there. Matt Barker's Netflix. That's awesome. I use that in, or in my gen ed schools and I'll use it a lot. He has a lot of switch adapted uh, videos on um, the Netflix as well. Netflix as well. So those are probably my top two. Uh, Help Kids Learn is another great one that has a lot of, we just got these new, I think, box light boards, um, a lot of cause and effect. So if the student touches the board, it create like maybe fireworks come up or something like that. Um, so I'll use that one a lot as well. Those are all those are all really great sounding. Best teaching purchase under a hundred dollars. We're teachers. We don't have a lot of money. What's the best one under a hundred bucks? Especially if you're working with population similar to mine, those folding tables. Yeah. <laughs> I think those are great. And I think you can get those for free. Uh, another one I love is tether balls. Okay. Um, because it's great for you know, reaching, pushing, striking, tracking with your eyes you can tie them to gate trainers. So if you're doing a um, like a soccer unit, so when the student kicks the ball, it doesn't roll all the way across the gym. You can keep it controlled. So tether balls, I love. I think those are great. One thing in your teaching bag you can't live without. For me, it would be the power link. 
Okay. Which is what the switches hook into, which powers the blower and different things like that. That has just given my kids access to so many different activities by using the leaf blower. You know, now you can throw, now you can roll, now you can play volleyball, send a volleyball over the net. For me and my population, that is hands down the best. And last one in our fast five here, just best piece of advice you'd offer another (laughs) teacher in our field. Best piece of advice, I would say, if you have a student and you're not sure what, what you're able to do with them, always focus on what the student can do. Focus on the student's abilities. Don't don't start off, oh, well, this student, he can't play hockey. He can't bowl. Figure out what the student can do, and you can always build skills from there. And you can also, so let's say I have a student and I'm doing a bowling unit, has limited use of arms, limited use of legs, but is very functional with their head. So how can you do that? So we know that they're functional with the head, so he can use his head. So from there, Maybe we take a switch, we hook a leaf blower up, we throw it on the ramp. Now the student is able to use his head to activate the switch, which turns on the leaf blower and sends the ball down. So if you focus on what the student can do, that's where then you can turn to Twitter and all these things and try to find all these ideas. And I'm always giving people advice. Feel free to reach out to me. If you follow me on Twitter, I usually always follow back as long as your account is somehow related to education. I will follow you back. And the reason I do that is so if you want to DM me and I can always DM you back with any advice. But yeah, definitely focus on what the student can do and work from there. You can always figure out, try to be creative or reach out to me or other people. Matt's always really great to help out with Nicole McCoy. She's amazing as well. Folk don't, we got to get away from this focus of the student can't do this. They can't do this. Let's figure out what they can do and go from there. I would say that's my best piece of advice for anyone in the field. It's great advice. And try to take that into IEP meetings too. Tell the parents what their kid can do, not what they can't do. They know what their kid can't do. Tell them what they can do. Yep. hundred percent. And especially in IEP meetings, let's get away from everything they can't do. Let's focus on what they can do and where we're going and build skills from there. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, this was awesome. I know that you're squeezing me in on your lunch break at work, so I appreciate (laughs) it. But I want to give you a chance to share either your Twitter handle or anywhere else people can find you and the work you're doing. So the best would be definitely Twitter. And my Twitter name is at LongviewAPE. And I will include that in the show notes so that they can just find it right there as well. And any any websites you have or is Twitter just the best spot? Just Twitter. And my um, I think my TikTok is uh, Mr. Jeff Adapted PE. But usually on TikTok, I try to take out all my students' faces and everything like that. So all my best videos will be on Twitter. So that's definitely the best place to follow me. Jeff, this was fun. Great conversation. Awesome. Thanks for joining me today. Great connecting with you again.